You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Bible 2020 with Fiona Stewart, Jen Robertson and Neil Glover. Hello and welcome to The Outspoken Bible in 2021. Happy New Year to you all. I am Fiona Stewart. Once again, I'm joined by Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Happy New Year to you both. Happy New Year, Happy Fiona. Happy New Year, Fiona. And Jane. And, and Alistair, who's the, the silent <laughs> friend in all our conversations. Silent partner. Neil just prayed for us before we began, and I, I really like that you talked about us coming into a community together. feels like the community's back. It's, it's good. It's good. And we are going to have some changes this year, so I thought before we get into our discussion, um, I'm just going to kind of chat a wee bit about that. Um, those of you who are keen followers of the Bible 2020 app will know that that is continuing into 2021. I, I have a question about whether it keeps the same name, but that's that's a whole other discussion to be had at a different point. And in the last year, we've been linked very much to the Bible 2020 project, and we'll continue to do that for the next three episodes and would encourage people to keep using the app, keep uh, engaging each day with the passages. Um, But we are going to kind of hive off after that. So at the beginning of March, we're going to launch a new season of the Outspoken Bible. And uh, when we do that, we thought it'd be a good opportunity to make some changes to the format. Uh, We've loved following along with the plan and obviously that has guided our discussion, but we've got some really interesting topics to engage with um, going forward. We're going to look at the Old Testament story of Joseph. We'll do a few episodes on a biblical response to disaster and trauma. We're lining up some episodes to read along along with one another in the Gospel of Mark and discuss those. Lots of other things planned in terms of content. And obviously, we will let people know in advance so that if you want to be reading ahead uh, before you listen, then you can do that. The other thing we we wanted to do also was just to get, I guess, get the audience involved a little bit more in uh, connecting with us through social media, through email, and uh, fueling some of the discussion and contributing into the contribution. So we will let you know how to do that as we go along. Now, having said that, some things will stay the same. So the cast is the same. So Jen and Neil, you're okay. You can breathe a sigh of relief or feel anxious. I don't know, whichever that does. So Neil, Jen and I are still going to be part of this. It will still last about the same length of time. So each episode will be about 40 to 45 minutes long. But we will introduce a few little segments that we're going to, we're going to um, enjoy. We haven't worked those out yet. Well, I thought we could talk about that, actually. That was that was my next segue to discuss what we could do. So Alistair and I had an offline meeting where we basically delegated a couple of sections to you two, but I need to just test out how you feel about them. So here we go. You're going to like this. Jen, because of your huge knowledge and experience in, in terms of working with children and young people and families, we, we kind of would like to bring in a segment that is about how we explain big concepts, big theological concepts or difficult passages to young people. So something that would help adults articulate to a younger person. I think it's great. I I, I think actually in doing that, we help ourselves because if we don't understand big concepts ourselves in simple ways, then we can't have a conversation with anybody about it. And I think if we don't grapple with the difficult, challenging bits of the Bible, as we've done so well on this podcast, um, we can't then have ongoing conversations with children. And sometimes we get stuck uh, with a certain childlike view of a story, whereas we need to keep going deeper, like Noah is a, is a classic example. So I once had an 11-year-old boy say to me, I'm a bit fed up of colouring in giraffes that stick <laughs> out the ark. 
you know, he'd been doing that for 11 years and where had the conversations been for him about what this story was about and what it really said and what it showed us about God. So, yeah, great. I'm all for conversations. And uh, someone once said to me, to teach simply, you need to know deeply. Mm-hmm. So we need to do some hard work. And I think there's, over the years, I've sometimes felt that, you know, we, we, we put people into children's ministry because that's the easy part of church life. Uh, maybe there's no easy part of church life. Uh, and it's certainly not children's ministry because children um, need the best and need our best thought and uh, lots of care in how we talk to them about God, which is true for everybody. That's that's very good. Now, so yeah, of course, can I, can I, can I yeah, ask I'll... Jane about something that happened yesterday? I don't know if I'll make this in or not, but this is something, this, uh, I'm quite disturbed at what I did. Um, <laughs> a, someone had dropped a book at, around our house and so, someone had dropped that in the door and Anna, my wife, said to me, oh, Neil, someone's dropped this book for you through the the door. Uh, maybe they think you need to brush up or something like this. So I went and read it yesterday and I was enraged by it. I was furious and I had my pencil out and I started just writing in the margin, no, 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 no. Or I just felt it was ducking the hard questions. Uh, it was it was um, asking all sorts of questions that we know the answer to already, but it was ducking all the hard stuff and it was setting up all sorts of what you, you know, might say straw men. It was saying, you know, for example, it was arguing with historians who said anybody can believe anything at all in history these days. Uh, that that's just rubbish. No historian says that. So I was going, no, 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 no. Um, anyway, and I was then on the phone to uh, someone, and I said to him, I can't believe it. Uh, somebody dropped this book through, and uh, and I was about to go on a rant about how annoyed I was about the book. And he said, oh, no, that's not for you. That's for Sam, who's our oldest. He said, we're, we're studying it in a youth group at the moment. Uh, did nobody tell you? I went, no, no, no. Um, at that point, and at that point, I thought, do I tell Franny how upset I was by the argument in the book? Or do I just carry on and not rock the boat? And to my shame, I just said, oh, that's really good that you're doing this book. And then afterwards... I got my rubber on my pencil and I rubbed out all the bits in the margin where I'd written, no, 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 no. So, Jen, should I have done that? I think I understand why <laughs> you did that. But really, if you feel that strongly in the book, there's no way that your uh, youth group should be chatting about it without you having a chat with the youth worker about your opinion of the book. And that would my question back to you would be, if somebody decided to give that to all members of your congregation, yeah. Would you have reacted differently? Would you have just said, "Oh, that's fine, carry on"? I yeah. I have a question as well. But is there is there not a third way in that <laughs> discussion? In that could you and Sam not have a conversation about it, which helps him as he comes to read the book? So he has a he has a critical perspective in a in a helpful way, a critical perspective on what he's reading. Yeah, well, I just worry then that will mean that he has a, he has to there'll be a bit in the youth group discussion where he says, I know you're all saying this, but my dad says. Oh, well, yes. And then either they all pile in on him because he's a yeah. heretic and he's having to defend his dad who's a heretic. Oh, I don't know. Or do do I just go, yeah, you're right. I mean, probably what I went was, it's fine to believe that for the next 10 years and then we can have a chat about it. I don't, yeah. I, I think... Um the age they're at, they need to be having those kind of conversations. Maybe you need to be part of the group, Neil, with the book mm. and with the young people. I got, I got on really well with 
<laughs> Franny might be listening to this. I got really well. for you, which is you've just uh, had the conversation right now. I just had the conversation. I'll talk to Franny. <laughs> but yeah, literally went and rubbed out all my comments from the margin. <laughs> and, and I think what you said, you can believe this the next 10 years. Well, they'll have made, they'll have made their decisions about what they believe and if they haven't been helped to think through some things in a different way, then yeah. they may have missed an opportunity that will affect their whole relationship with God. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, so, if, if God is truth, then we shouldn't be afraid of the truth. It's just defining how we, how, what the truth is, though, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. Or, or whose perspective on the truth. Would I, I'm not saying don't use the book, but I'm saying you, your, your opinion on the book needs to be part of the conversation that young people are having. We're also all really curious about what the book is. Uh, however, bringing it back to the original topic of conversation, so Jeff, <laughs> although it was a lovely anecdote. <laughs> lovely? Jeff, Would you call it lovely? It's lovely because it's, it's got something to, it's got a morsel to chew over. That, love, that makes it lovely in my book. Um, my book, which, you know, everyone would agree with. Uh, Jen, so in terms of thinking about that, do you think there's a, there's a, you could look at any age group. So, so Alistair and I, when we were talking, we were talking about how you explain things to five-year-olds. We were, we were, to be honest, blatantly uh, stealing it from uh, another piece of audio. Um, but is that a helpful age to start with discussing concepts? Is that, do, do we say, right, Jen, tell us how you'd explain this to an eight-year-old, a 15-year-old? Do you want us to vary it up? I'm just trying to plan the segment here. I suppose my slight concern would be then you only become capable of having that conversation with that age. Whereas really the question is, how, how do I simplify a complex concept so then I can interact with the person who's in front of me? You know, because, you know, psychological development, you know, there's a movement away from saying that you're eight and then therefore you will behave in this way and you'll think in this way and you'll have this kind of understanding. So it needs to be about the group of people or the individual that's in front of you. So actually the skill is in your thinking of simplifying the concept rather than this is how I would speak to somebody who's in this group. You know, um, I, I don't know if that's helpful, but that's how I would approach it. So you, what, you, we'll, you, what we'll do, Jen, is we'll bring you a concept each time, yeah. a concept or a, a Bible passage or a kind of theological idea. We'll bring you that concept. Yes. And then what you're going to do, <laughs> you can plan in advance, if you like, <laughs> if you can tell us how to simplify yeah. that. And maybe we can put in some application. Well, how, how, what would that look like yeah. with a bunch of, of preschoolers? What would that look like with a bunch of teenagers? And, um, and, and I think that, you know, we're so quick to look for resources to, to help explore the Bible with children and young people and and adults, when really that if we have all have this skill, then we can chat about the Bible with it with anybody. It's a it's a much more important skill. So it's Jen's toolkit. The messianic I mean, secret. How to talk about the messianic secret with with young people? <laughs> the, the, the messianic <laughs> secret for sorry, Fiona, I've just jumped in. For the for the, one of my biggest thrills was we. Um, so the messianic secret is this big thing that you study, particularly when you study Mark's gospel and the New Testament. It's all about why did Jesus tell people to keep quiet about miracles and so on. And it's this thing that biblical scholars like spend ages on. Like there's massive books on this thing called the messianic secret. And one of my biggest thrills was a I was involved in a children's camp where the theme were spies. 
And it was really, really hard to find good things to talk about because actually spies tend to be pretty awful people. So how, how do you talk about spies and so on? Um, and, and then I hit upon the messianic secret and keeping secrets. And that was, that was the in, uh, into, uh, talking about spies and Jesus with, with Jesus. So all these complex subjects, if, if they're true, have many, many facets to them, which, which, um, well, you could almost go and say, if you can't talk about it with young people, then what's it worth? Yeah. There you go. And there I, you go. And I think so, there's, a, sorry, there's an assumption that someone speaking, that you, talking about the Bible to adults would have done lots of work beforehand. No, they'd have used commentaries and they've dug into what that bit of the Bible's about. I don't think there's that assumption when you're working and talking to children. We need to change that. Yeah, maybe you ought to work all the harder. Because you're having to explain a complex. Yeah, that is interesting. Ed, hold any more conversation, please, because we, we will be using this over the course of the year. Don't get it all into the first episode. Um, great. So what we're saying is we, we'll be launching into those segments uh, and we'll shape them over yeah. the next three episodes. But uh, we'll be launching into those segments at the beginning of March. I think it's the 6th of March um, is the first episode of season yeah. two of the Outspoken Bible. If in the meantime, people have ideas of titles for those things or maybe comments on what they yeah, would like to please. hear please do get in touch we also wanted something that was that was connected to the word mans so we had kind of mansplaining oh, yeah. i know we just weren't quite sure what to put into that and um, yeah so if people want to get in touch they can do that through sbs uh, email addresses and social media and so on and we'll encourage you uh, to do that over the next couple of months in particular as we're planning those segments and i'm quite excited about that So wise and powerful, no one can stand up against him. Without warning, he moves mountains, and in anger, he destroys them. God sends earthquakes and shakes the ground. He rocks the pillars that support the earth. He can keep the sun from rising and the stars from shining at night. No one helped God spread out the heavens or trample the sea monster's back. All right, so we're moving on to the main um, meat of what we're going to talk about today. So so I did ask you, sorry, Neil, I think you, you missed the message somehow, but I had asked you to go back and listen to episode one from uh, this season. So that was uh, the very first episode we did it, because we were, were covering the same Bible verses today as we did back then. So it was the, the first section from Bible 2020 and it was called In the Beginning. I've slightly cleverly called this back to the beginning um, but I wondered how you'd got on either either in listening back or even just um, connecting into these passages again do you think that this year has has shifted how you're viewing them or was it just here we are in January again it's good to be reminded but nothing's really changed <laughs> it's a leading question <laughs> it was very strange to listen to the first podcast knowing that we were talking without knowing what was going to happen. Now, that is always, always true. You never know what's going to happen in life, but all of us have experienced in different ways what happened in 2020. Mm -hmm. And I, I listened to us talking, and it was more about the lives we were living, you know, the things we were all taking uh, for granted in a world that's going to change for the next year. Another, in some ways, it seems so recently when I listened to it. I couldn't believe it was like more than a year ago. And the actual content, I, I think a lot of it, I, I might still have said the same things, but I think there's been a few things 
in those verses that I've had more chance to think about. And that's probably been also because the podcast didn't end in that first podcast. No, we start we, we, we carried on chatting. And so that's been a huge influence on my life to have these conversations and to think deeper about things and to read more and to explore further because there's so much uh, nuance around so many subjects Then we live in a culture where often you just get, you know, a wee, a wee sound by or a wee glimpse of an argument. And, and so it's really I've been really pushed to read more and to dig deeper and not to make assumptions. And I suppose when you're on a podcast, you don't want to be her doing that you know you want you want to make sure that you've you've heard different voices about different topics so I was aware of the how much the context has changed that we live in and how much I and a lot of what I've changed and and there's been a lot of talk over Christmas and New Year about or leave 2020 behind or kick it into touch throw it in a bin and I totally understand that you know it's not a year we won't we'd want to relive but as with any year there's things I've learned, things I want to keep hold of, uh, things I, I don't want to I don't want to forget about. I, d- I don't want to go back uh, to just what I was at that time when we were recording that podcast. So that's kind of personal reflections on listening back uh, to us chatting this time last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd want to be sensitive in what I want to about to say because um, I'm conscious that. 2020 has been utterly horrible for for mm. for some people. Absolutely, um, yeah. I'm thinking of one of the people that works in our church, um, who is utterly terrified of going into stricter lockdowns because the first time of it was just mm. so awful for them. Mm. Um, and and yet, 2020 has has given us things that we wouldn't have had mm-hmm. had it not happened. And you know, for me, you know, listening back. For you talking about it, I didn't do my homework because I didn't read my email properly. So sorry, um, but That's okay. you know the the other thing was my illness, which was diagnosed just a year ago, um, and so that that journey of going through that and then into COVID has been incredibly profound. And it, I think we we talked a little bit about Job and struggling with with Job, that, but there's a transition. There's a transition that happens between Job nine and Job thirty eight, which are two of the readings here. In Job nine, there's a picture of a creator God who's all powerful, but it's a God of destruction, bringing down mountains and destroying things and bringing darkness to the sun. And then Job, through all that that Job goes through in Job thirty eight, then has a perception of God who announces God's self as as the one who waters the the wasteland where there is no habitation, even though there doesn't have to be watering there in some senses, God still waters it. Or God who is father to the drops of dew, you know, the tiniest particles. And yet God says, I am I am father to them also. And it's an incredibly intimate sense of, of God being present. And and almost exactly a year ago today I I had that experience which I which I spoke about at the time of my bone scan, which in, in which I was injected with radioactive dye and I had to go for a walk whilst it went into my bones. And uh, I found myself walking through Mingus Hill in Dundee, which, you know, I, I know people who live in Mingus Hills, but it probably wouldn't be called the most glamorous part of Dundee. And and yet moving through there with that sense of fear about what this scan might tell me about myself and, and, um, and sensing myself moving through the love of God just as surely as I was moving through air 
And it's that sense of intimacy, of presence to God, which has perhaps been heightened at many points this year that, that Job goes to. And just a little coda to that story. Um, I was reflecting on this on, on our Zoom worship at church on Sunday and, and telling the story of um, this sense of the profound love of God as I wondered about this scan. And if I had bad results from that scan, then um, my future was going to look really, really different. I told that story, and two or three minutes, I was still in the sermon. Um, I was looking out um, on Sunday, and my my study where I was doing the sermon looks out it's where I'm sat now onto the road. And a man walked past. I know him quite well because he had that exact same scan as me. And his results showed that the cancer had spread, and he was looking at a different future from me. And yet just at that moment, he walked past my window as I was reflecting on this. And he he's still, he's doing fine. His treatment's managing his symptoms. He turns to me and he just has this big beaming smile as he waves at me. And I thought, even when that scan comes back with bad results, you still walk through the love of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And here was I, two, two men who'd both through the same scan, different results, and yet still walking in the same love. And if anything's happened in this year, there have been moments of profound closeness in suffering to to the God who is so near and so rich and so true and so good. I think that I think that's a really that's a really profound story for many of us actually. Because because just coming in on as I listened back, one of the things that I was really struck by was we talked quite a lot about the environmental. Um, crisis, and we talked about small actions, and 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 I think that there was a sense listening back to myself speaking that I thought there was a there was almost a wistfulness about things I wanted to do, and and with all the caveats that you've mentioned of of how difficult that this year has been for people, I I think I look back and there is almost a sense of of God has answered some of the prayers I had around simplicity, knowledge of Him, dependence on Him, um, awareness of Him awareness of his love as you've just talked about it, there were almost unspoken prayers I think that I could hear when I was when I was listening to us talk and I, I, I would not have wanted this to have happened in order for those those that that prayer to be answered and yet and yet in his goodness and his sovereignty um I, I think when I go back and I'm, I'm reading particularly some of those psalms that are in this section it, I, I feel a fresh connection to them and I feel a f- they, they feel more real Probably than they did reading them in advance of, of of recording last time. So there is something, isn't there, in the in the noticing of the small things and then the the, the awareness of God and the dependence that grows through an experience that is that is that is a suffering experience that I think would be would be true, wouldn't it? Yeah, making that connection. One of my my favourite verses there is Psalm eight, um, where the psalmist looks up at the stars. And in the middle of the psalm says, um, and who are we that you should care for us? Mm-hmm. And it's it's making that connection between the vastness of God. We were, you know, we were talking about the country and I was saying to you, you know, the other night that the, the stars have been really fantastic for the last two nights. And uh, I think you, Fiona, said, oh, I haven't seen them but um, in the city, but here they are. And the, the big test of a clear night for me is if I can see Andromeda Galaxy, I spoke about this in the podcast before, Andromeda Galaxy is the only object in the Northern Hemisphere that you can see that isn't in our galaxy. So everything else is in the Milky Way. 
I always think the Milky Way is such a bad name. It's or it's such a domesticizing name. You know, it's like this vast galaxy, and we call it after uh, the the chocolate bar that's slightly inferior to Mars. Uh, you know, it's the thing you give to your kids. But the but the Milky Way is so called because of the Milky Way band that you can see at times where, where it's almost this kind of soup of whiteness uh, going across the sky, and and all every single bit of that whiteness is is a star, is a sun. Uh, and it's huge. The Milky Way is huge. And I was doing some research into this and thinking about Andromeda, which I think is four, oh, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong. I think it's 400,000 light years away. Um, and a, and it's just a splash, but it's, it's another 100 million stars, uh, 100 billion stars, sorry. Um, and it's so, um, some galaxies are 100 trillion, but we're 100 billion. And a, and and thinking of the size of the universe, and you know, you look up at the stars and you go, "There's vastness," and yet God also cares for me. And it, and that to spend time in that space of just contemplating that mystery, because otherwise it gets too glib. Mm-hmm. And then I was re- doing some research. So Andromeda and us and a few other galaxies are part of what's called the local group. <laughs> idea of us being local, these vast galaxies. And then the local group is a part of a larger supercluster called the Virgo supercluster. And that has, I think, a hundred a hundred galaxy groups in it. So all the billions of stars. And that is part of a, nar- uh, a larger cluster still called Lariakea, which was first discovered in 2014 by astronomers in Hawaii. And Lariakea is a Hawaiian word meaning immense heavens. And Lariakea is part of a larger cluster. And at the heart of that is a thing called, or Lariakea is a thing called the Great Attractor, which is this vast uh, black hole, um, which is the size, I think, of the Milky Way and many, many millions of times heavier. And, um, and if we believe that God made the heavens and the earth, we have to believe that God is bigger than all of that. Huh? And yet still cherishes and holds on to the sparrow. And yeah. the snowflake, and the leaf on the tree, and the hair on the head, which is count is counted, and to spend time, oh, just with a mystery of that. I think, yeah, we we were saying as well before. I was thinking about that whenever the the Bible talks about creation, it always goes into a poetry because mm-hmm. you have poetry is the language of the soul to to dance at the wonder of of that truth. And the the Sami also has the verse about praise coming from babies and children, mm. and that's the weak, the weakest part of humanity, the most vulnerable, the most needy. In that weakness is God's strength. You know, He's chosen them to silence the foe and the avenger, mm. and that struck me in a new way from last year, maybe partly because I'm much more aware of my own weakness. Aren't we all? You know, In whatever way COVID has affected us, we're more aware of our fragility and our mortality. And here's a psalm that says, it's in the weakest, frailest, uh, that my, my words will be heard and my purposes will be accomplished to bring down the things that people think are powerful and great and amazing. And then Jesus quotes that psalm as he arrives in Jerusalem to go to his death and the children are praising him. And and in Jesus, of course, is the ultimate 
uh, you know, any any's weakness and his fragility. That this mag- magnificent God, the the God that flung the stars, as we were talking about earlier as well, uh, um, is the one who, in utter weakness and frailty, uh, saves us on the cross. Yeah, and and also it's, it's interesting because actually, even as you've both been been speaking, Neil, you talked about God being mindful of us, and that's the the Sammy thing, isn't it? What is man that you're mindful of him? I, I was really struck over Christmas reading the Magnificat again. Mm. That what Mary talks about is that that God is mindful of her humble estate, and I love that idea that that Mary is held in 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 the mind of God, and, and therefore, of course, the Magnificat then goes on to talk about how He uses the humble to 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 bring down bring yeah. down the person. There is that lovely thread, isn't there, through through that Psalm through what we've read about through the kind of poetic understanding of who we are in our smallness, but who God is in mm. his great. Um, and, and holding on, to, one of the stories I told last year in the podcast was the story of the, the Earthrise, the, the Apollo 8 astronauts who yeah. saw Earth. And uh, I think we uh, we even had... Um, clip it, we played the clip, yeah. And and in many ways, that's a lovely story, but what's what's slightly disheartening or a little bit kind of a little jab in the story is that one of the, the astronauts, and I was trying to find out which one it was, whether it was Lovell or Anders or Borman, but one of them, when he saw Earthrise, actually became an atheist. Hmm. And he said it was because I could not believe that a God who would make that vast planet would also be so bothered with the the tiniest sins of all the little people crawling around like ants. And in a sense, what happened, partly I wanted to say to him was, well, this kind of gnarly, precious, tight God that you're getting rid of at that point, I don't believe in either. So, great. But there's also a thing of almost the, the threat of holding the vastness of God with the intimacy of God for him at that point became too fraught. And he he just he, for him mm-hmm. it had to snap. But what the poetry of the scriptures does is invite us to keep that thread held mm-hmm. and keep mm. that that connection. And 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 to go there again and again. Um, we we were we were talking earlier about how when the scriptures talks about creation, it always seems to move into poetry, and it might. You know, John's Gospel, which in many places is narrative, but when it goes to the prologues to talk about the creation, the start of John, it's it's poetry. Or Colossians, which is the classic letter of Paul, but in Colossians chapter one, what's called the Christ hymn, where where uh, he talks about the Christ holding all things together, he moves into poetry. Or Paul, when he's preaching in Athens in Acts chapter 17, and he talks about God um, creating the heavens and the earth, or Christ, and and then he moves into the poetry of the pagan poets, and him we move and breathe and have our being. It's poetry always. And and I think, well, Fiona, you said a remarkable thing at that point. Well, I was going to say it again, but you weren't giving I'm, me space. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't see you, can't make eye contact with you. <laughs> Well, no, it struck me when you said that to me earlier. I, I suddenly realised that, that those those three passages, so John 1, Colossians 1 and uh, Acts 17, are probably three of my favourite passages in, in the whole of Scripture, which is fascinating. I just, it was like a little personal, you know, light bulb moment of, oh, yeah. honestly, I really do love poetry. And actually that has that poetry as a whole has been really significant to me in, in the last year, maybe with some of the slowing down, but, mm. but maybe because there's something about distilling ideas into something small help us when we find the words ourselves to express something 
I find that really interesting that those three passages you mentioned were. We, and we talked about poetry. You talked about, so I talked about Wendell, uh, sorry, Mary Oliver, who I've loved her poetry this year, poet, uh, poem uh, in a, a Summer's Day and one about the wild geese. Um, but uh, you talked about Wendell Berry, or you both did, I think. Yeah, yeah I've kind of kind of discovered him properly this this year. Yeah. And he, he's a farmer. I can't remember where it is. It's somewhere in rural America. So all his poetry is very grounded in his land and in his in his farming experience. So on one level, it's it's very specific and very local. But it, 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 he, he talks beautifully of, of creation and, and motion and, and, and loss and um, hope and so on. So, yeah, yeah, Wendell Berry, I would, I would thoroughly recommend. So, yeah. How would you get po- into Wendell Berry? Um, you could buy a book of his. <laughs> or you could find him, or also you could find him, you could find it, if you, if you Google Wendell Berry, we could put a note in the, in the show notes. Um, yeah, there's quite a lot of stuff on, online. Uh, and actually, it, it, it's lovely if you can find the audio of him speaking. Mm. It's it's kind of beautiful to to listen to as well. I think um, he's featured on On Being on their podcast before, um, so you can you can find him there. I mean, interesting as well when we come back to these verses because, of course, we, we haven't talked this time particularly about Genesis one. Um, but again, there's that there's a po- but we and we did talk about this last time that the poetic. Uh, interpretation of that that this is a this is about the why not the how yeah. this is this is about the the kind of glorying in 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 all that creation is and who God is in that rather than the the scientific explanation of how it all came about. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, and it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. I've had the privilege in 2020 of being part of a a Bible study group, well, that's what we call it. I don't know if it's a correct phrase, but there's five young people who are in first to third year at high school and two people who are slightly older, including me. And we're just going through different bits of the Bible and talking about it. We don't have a curriculum. We don't have questions. Um, we just read a wee bit and then we all get, we did all over it. We write questions, we write our, what we're wondering about. And so the first one we did when we met on Zoom for the first time was the first two chapters of Genesis, first three maybe. And yes, there was lots of questions and we had fantastic conversations around just what you've said, Fiona, and other things. But at the end, all of us, whatever age we are, commented on how beautiful it was Mm. and how Mm. beautiful the world was God had made. And I think we all felt the loss (laughs) of that beauty. And now we didn't set out to do that but I think partly because we just approached it. I hear here is amazing words from God to reflect on. Um and that's been one of the most amazing parts of twenty twenty. I don't if any of those young people are listening, I've told them that often. Um it, it's just one of the best things I've been part of to have that chance to have these conversations about the Bible in that kind of way. Jen, just on that topic of, of children and children's praise, so mm. so can I circle back to Psalm eight? Yes. Because you, you were talking already about about the praises of children and how that that's that's mentioned in that psalm. But do you want to just talk about um, the, the 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 power of the praise of children? Because you were talking about that 
before we yes, I think um, when we read this and when I've read it, the, the sort of an image of children singing uh, contemporary worship songs, I, I, I think there's more, much more to it than that. There's something about, I, I'm just wondering about this, there's something about the way children connect with other people that is more direct and honest than sometimes when we get older. I was thinking about the moment in To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, the author is Fiona Harperley. Harperley, of course. Um, so in To Kill a Mockingbird, there is a moment when Scout, who is an eight-year-old girl, goes to visit her father, Atticus, who's a lawyer, and he's sitting outside the local jail because Tom Robinson is inside the jail and he's been accused of raping a woman. And so Scout goes along to see her father because he's protecting Tom. And then all these farmers arrive in their cars to the jail as Scout is there and they want to lynch Tom Robinson. They want to kill him. They don't want him to go to trial. They don't want justice for him. And Scout in her, not childishness, but because she is a child, recognises some of them and some of them are the, the dads of children in her class. And she says, hey, how are you doing? Your boy's in my class. I know you. And in that moment of connection and humanity, each one of those farmers drops their weapons and turns away and drives off. And Tom is safe for that moment. And because of some, when it goes on to say, you know, this praise of children silences the foe and the avenger. What, what can the voice of children do in a world of conflict and hate? And what can we as adults learn from our children and how we speak to each other? And one of the other things I've been reflecting on over 2020 and been struck by is that a lot of things we did in church were maybe seen as events. And because we can't have those events we've had to connect in different ways. And that's mainly been doorstep conversations, <laughs> uh, even with our Christmas windows at Christmas. You know, we, went, we went round doors and gave the bags. And that was lovely to give the bags, but actually the conversations I had on doorsteps from six feet away brought more of a connection than maybe I'd ever had at an event, at a church event. So anyway, I, I don't know. Is there something again about that simplicity of connecting as humans and the way God has made us that as we connect with each other, we bring God's peace, we bring God's glory, we bring God's kingdom into place. I think that's a, that's a beautiful point to end, end on there, Jen. So, so thank you for that. Mm. Uh, we would encourage people, if you're not engaging with the app still, do go back and have a look at those passages. Um, maybe if you want, if you can really face it, then listen to what we said back at the beginning of 2020 <laughs> <laughs> and see what your opinion is on, on mm. all of that. But there is something lovely, isn't there? I think in, in well, I, w- I was at an event the other night which was talking about beauty and what beauty is. It was a, an event for artists. And one of the things that w- was coming out was very much the connection with beauty, goodness, justice. These things are are interrelated and we separate beauty out from truth and from justice yeah. and from goodness at our peril. So I think just mm. what you talked about there, Jen, there was, there was yeah. a real reference for me in in that. Um, we are interested to know what people have to say and uh, give us feedback on on some ideas for going forward. So you can do that at scottish.bible forward slash outspoken, where you'll find a contact box. Um, we're calling it the buzz box. buzz box. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I don't know if it buzzes when you when you press it. No, I'm sure it doesn't. No, you can contact us by that. That's by the that buzz. Form. 
<laughs> what is the buzz on the on the street? When did That's we last see that? It's a bit old school. Um, yeah. So just before we finish off, um, folks, do you want to just, is there been anything as we've revisited these things that, that you are going to take away as you go into uh, the next few days and weeks? I, I just listened to what Jane was saying about the connections, the little connections. Yeah. And and keeping those and the power of those. Yeah. I, I had a number of conversations yesterday where I just phoned people to say hello. Mm-hmm. And they were so grateful. I felt so bad. I mean, the, the, what I was really thinking was I felt bad because I hadn't spoken to them for a month or two. And they were just like so grateful to phone. Mm. And then an angry rant from somebody who I hadn't replied to a letter on. So I just like juxtaposed that in my head with the people who were being, oh, thank you for coming. Um, so, yeah. So something about that and events and contact. Um, I think obviously praise is mentioned a lot in the Psalms, not, not just that Psalm 8 with children, but what does it mean to be a person of praise? I mean, I love singing hymns, but we know that that, that is only part of praise. Mm. So what is what does my life need to look like to be more full of praise that are described in these verses? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a discussion yeah. point because I'd like to chat about that more. <laughs> praise. I think that's connected to mine, which would be along similar lines. I think, do you know, I, I'm sort of struggling a bit with the not being able to sing with other people. Yeah. In worship. And I know that that's not what all of what worship is. Of course, I know that. But um, I am in my mind think, trying to trying to work out well, what does it look like to mm. worship God yeah. without uh, meet together to sing. Yeah, I know so, you want. Yeah. Poetry has been a huge part of that for me this year and, and spoken word and verse mm. and so on. But yeah, I, I, I would like to think more about that. And I know you want to finish off, you know, but just when you were talking about singing together, um, I was at a few church services in person over this year, not very many. And obviously we were just listening to songs. We weren't singing. And I, I'm not a person that cries very often. I'm sure I've said that before. But each time the first hymn or song was played, I I welled up and was about to cry. It didn't matter what the song was. I think particularly old hymns had a more powerful effect. But I'm sure it was a, a memory that I wasn't even thinking about, but a subconscious memory of standing in congregations with many people in many situations and singing those words. And so there is it's a deep emotional loss. And I, I feel I'm quite down this month. I, I haven't really been able to analyse it. But I think there's many losses in our lives that we, we don't even know. We haven't even expressed what they are. And we don't know yeah. we've lost them. <laughs> Yes, and there will be a, a work to do, won't yeah. there, to to come through that and to yeah. recognize. Yeah. Mm. Well, hopefully by joining us over the, the coming months, um, we'll be able to talk about that together as a group, but hopefully that also has a wider help to people um, who are also wrestling with some of those things. So thank you both very much again. We'll be back for episode 23 I think of season 1 next time uh, and we are going to be talking then about um, the goodness of God so we've called it still a good God because last year we called it a good God um, we're going to listen back to episode 2 and then we'll reflect back on that uh, next time but in the meantime thank you both very much it's been good to talk to you thanks Fiona thank, right. you, thank you we'll see you soon <laughs>